Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Yo. Yo. Aubrey Edwards, Tony Schiavone, we bout to party. We bout to party. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gon' turn it up. It's time for another edition of AEW's official podcast. Remember, this is the official podcast, not the unofficial version that you may have heard somewhere else. This is the official one. And why? Because Aubrey Edwards is here. You're getting honorary to start this thing. Just like, oh, we're the official guys. <laughs> Screw you and your little podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing honorary about me. With that in mind, it's also a lie. <laughs> with that in mind, we welcome the one and only Matt Hardy to Unrestricted. How are you, Matt? I'm great, Tony, and I'm very happy to finally be getting the opportunity to do this. I feel like we had a couple close calls where I almost did it, but it never materialized. So I'm happy to be here today. It's good to have you here. You debuted in Dynamite right in the midst of the pan or the beginning of the pandemic, I guess. It was the the first pandemic era show the first empty arena uh show that had to be tough but i thought it really worked out well it did especially because there was like a lot of buzz i did a little youtube series called free the elite and and the bucks actually did a cameo in it and showed up and we built a, a really cute little story you know and i had an idea about doing a more vicious more aggressive style of like the broken mat character the persona right but it turned out you know obviously it debuted in the pandemic era and that's a character that is very driven by an audience and by fans. It's a very audience interactive character. So later as time went on, we ended up pivoting, but that night was really good. It was really special. It was very cool having Vanguard one, which was part of my act, the drone land in the ring. And then, you know, the camera panned over to me in the, uh, in the, in the balcony, I was really happy with how that turned out considering the circumstances. It's just a beautiful shot. I just, I don't think Tony really like Tony kind of keeps things close to the chest as we all know now. And I had no idea what was happening see the drone pop down you're like oh, where is he where is he this is so exciting because you debuted on the same episode as Brody Lee yeah and I think people weren't necessarily expecting that we were going to have two debuts in the same episode especially because there were sort of fans questioning whether you were going to be the exalted one or not yeah and and I tried to actually release stuff via social media that I was going to be the exalted one because I had thorough conversations with the Bucks and with Tony and I knew Brody was going to do it. And I thought Brody was going to do amazing at it, which he did. You know, I figured the more I could lean into that I was going to debut as the exalted one, it would be a bigger reveal for him whenever he eventually debuts. Even if people got mad, if someone did want Matt Hardy to show up on that show, they were going to get me later. So it was a win-win either way. And it was real cool. One of the things that Brody said after that, he said, thank you for going out of your way to tease that was going to be used so many times. I feel like it, it helped me. It, it gave people a little bit, uh, a better reaction because it was less anticipated. And I was always really appreciative of that. And it, it was weird because 
I didn't get to know Brody at all really until AEW because we'd kind of like worked on different brands in the past or whatever. I had been around him, but you know, what an amazing guy. And I was so happy for him that night. And it was so great that he came to AEW and got the opportunities that he deserved. And, and he kicked ass. Uh, you have said your uh, dynamite street fight with Omega against Jericho and Guevara was one of your favorite AEW matches so far. Why? It was really enjoyable. I mean, especially being the debut and, it was an exciting match. And considering there hadn't been any kind of match like that during the pandemic era of wrestling, everything had just been two guys in a ring, you know, having a wrestling match, which almost felt like a rehearsal or felt like practice in so many ways. Because in my mind, in my opinion, pro wrestling isn't pro wrestling without a live audience. I mean, the cheering, the booing, the oohs and ahs. I mean, that that makes pro wrestling pro wrestling, in my opinion. That night we had uh, fans following us around and they, they were interactive and we just did such a different thing for the pandemic era where we utilized tables and weapons and we fought out of the building. And, and then also, I also enjoyed the changes I made, which was a character that I was working on, but I feel like it wasn't a character that was going to be successful considering the era we were working in as far as the pandemic era, just playing to viewers at home. I think that was the first time that we had ever seen Matt Hardy changing mid-match. And I think it was the ice box. Is that right? Yeah, we we did it twice. It was Sammy. And then I came back out in old school Hardy's gear. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to the ice box, I came out with the robot. <laughs> and I really enjoyed the thing at the stadium stampede with the Lake of Reincarnation. It's obviously a very theatrical aspect. And something I have learned by following AEW's audience closely. It's a very different audience than places I've worked at in the past. Impact's audience, for instance, they are a lot more accepting of things that are kind of like out of the normal parameters of pro wrestling. They enjoy that stuff a lot more. WWE even are a little more into supernatural stuff, their audience. But AEW Dynamite fans, they really like the realistic in-ring product of like old school pro wrestling where it stays within the boundaries of reality. Right. And, you know, I decided to work towards that. So we worked towards Stadium Stampede at Double or Nothing in 2020, which was going to go down as one of the most memorable matches we've ever had. But for you guys, yeah. that was a hell of a long night of taping that and putting that together, wasn't it? It was. And I'm very proud of that match. And I'm so happy and thrilled that Chris Jericho is as well, you know, with everything he's done in his amazing career. You know, that's one of his favorite matches as well. And I think the circumstances, considering we were doing a cinematic match, once again, and it was during a pandemic and we kind of had to pull it out of our ass the night before it ended up being pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and we also, I'm sure this has been documented already, but there was a rainstorm where we were paused for over an hour right. at one point that night, two 30 in the morning. Yeah. And then we went out and we were racing the sunlight to complete the match and finish the match, especially right at the end. It was like, rush, 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 go, 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 go. And what's funny is I've done some of those here on my property like that, when myself and my brother did the final deletion match, we were doing the exact same thing. We were racing the sun coming up. And that last spot was such a big deal with myself and Kenny, like up in the bleachers. And he gave the one winged angel to Sammy all the way down to those tables. It was huge. And like, we were rushing to get it done because we knew the sunlight was about to come out and we had to get the final shot of darkness with those fireworks and a celebrating at the end. So it was quite a hot pressure situation, but uh, I, I like working in those situations too. And that brings the best out of you a lot of times. There was a lot of like very memorable moments in that match. And, you know, the filming of it is unique and historic and all these things. Is there anything in particular that surprised you when you watched it back? I loved how Chris Jericho leaned into the cinematic and also comedy aspects of the match. You know, like the thing he did with you, 
with the reviewing of the call. <laughs> I thought that was amazing. <laughs> it added such a, a fun aspect to it. And I, I get it. I get it why people don't like those matches. And 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 I'm not going to hate on them for it, but I also get it why people love that type of material in wrestling too, because at the end of the day, wrestling is entertainment. You know, we are amazing athletes that go out and are like live stuntmen. And also we do entertaining things, you know, so the entertainment was important. And also like when they rolled the chalk line over Jericho too, was very funny at the end. Well, I was just talking about it with Matt Jackson a few days ago, actually, about whenever he had to do all of those Northern Lights suplexes over and over and over like it was 100 yards. He ended up, he legitimately, he had like badly bruised ribs that night. So he was already in pain working. He did it for almost like 40 yards of these Northern Lights suplexes that they cut in there. And then at the very end, they needed him in the end zone. So they said, can you do two or three more, please? And he's like in such pain, but he like toughed it out and, and made it happen. Everybody works so hard as a team, those 10 guys to really make that pull together and come together and be something very special. We are talking with the one and only Matt Hardy, and you're listening to AEW Unrestricted. Tony and Aubrey with you. We have a question about uh, you and Guevara and the Hardy compound and that entertaining match. And But I want to go back. You mentioned uh, Matt Jackson. You did some things on BTE that were oh my God. incredibly entertaining, where you would pause everything. Yeah. You would explain the terms in wrestling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you come up with that? Or did you the you and the Bucks come up with that together? That was some great entertaining stuff. Oh, thanks. Yeah. No, that that was a, that yeah, that was a, a broken mat creation. And then they were so cool because they they're all on board with anything like that. You know, this one thing I love about the Bucks and I love about Kenny. We have that in common for sure. Yeah. You know, but like it was basically pause the multiverse. And then we would take an insider term and then broken mat would explain it in a very broken mat way and obviously say words in a very exaggerated over the top way. And it ended up being pretty entertaining. So people seem to really enjoy that. Need more of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I, am, I am all for it. Yeah. I still believe there is a way that we can do a version of Matt Hardy. We don't, we don't call it broken mat. We don't even reference the Damascus thing. We have a more vicious Matt Hardy, yeah. which is a broken Matt Hardy which is more primal and whatnot. And he can be serious and straightforward and vicious, especially now as a heel in the company. Yeah. And then I think you could have fun bits like that on BTE because it's kind of like outside the box. It's, it's almost for a different audience than our typical television product is. I think Brody was the one that had said when he was doing the ads for Chili's as the leader of the Dark Order on BTE, but on TV, he's this like crazy, menacing, like terrifying character. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to the wrestling is like a buffet and there's a little bit of everything for everyone. It's nice to have the different venues where we can be ourselves or be something else and totally different off of TV. So I, I absolutely love all of your work on BT. It's been absolutely incredible. Thank you. But that's my kind of stuff. Yeah. And I mean, but, and that's very, that's, I really think you hit the nail on the head there when you say that, because wrestling truly is a buffet for many different people. But I think one thing I've learned the reason AEW is experiencing so much success now, as opposed to WWE, and people are putting them in the same conversation, even though AEW's only been around for two years, is because for the longest time, WWE, they kind of had fans invest in watching their product, but they didn't give them the proper payoffs. And, mm -hmm. and fans just felt like, well, I'm if I watch, I'm not going to get the proper payoff. And I feel like AEW does that time and time and time again. And a lot of that comes from Tony Khan, because it is hard. He is a diehard wrestling fan, and he's very much on the pulse of what wrestling fans want in 2021. So I feel like the majority of fans that watch AEW are people that truly love pro wrestling and feel like they want to be rewarded and they want to watch these stories play out. They want to watch the uh, culmination of a big feud or culmination of a, a big rivalry. 
But sometimes those fans also don't dig the out of the realm of realism stuff like supernatural or, you know, magic stuff or just silly stuff. You know, even like when Jericho and MJF did the, the whole dance routine. But I feel like that is part of pro wrestling. There are ways you can incorporate that in, in certain elements in certain environments. And I feel like BTE is the way that that works in this day and age. And that's a good place to do that. And it helps get characters over. It helps get some stories over, you know, but on our TV, the audience that watches our show, they really want to see straightforward based in reality pro wrestling. We're talking to Matt Hardy. Matt, I want to talk about the match at the Hardy compound, putting that together. Gangrel was involved. Hurricane Helms was involved. How did that all come together? That was great. First and foremost, I want to say I'm very thankful to Tony Khan for letting that match happen because obviously we had all out, you know, where there was the injury and the match ended up being shortened very quickly. So we got to have a good official blow off to our match. And then we did it in Hardy compound style, which I know my diehard core fan base really enjoyed always. And then we also got to like culminate the Matt Hardy, Sammy Guar feud in a, in a very big way. Right. So we talked about doing it and he'd been up for doing it, especially considering we're in the midst of a pandemic and you kind of had to be creative as you were doing things in a pandemic. He came up, I pitched him the idea of using Gangrel because I, I was looking for someone, <laughs> long story short. So Hurricane Helms was in an episode of a WWE Network special that was going to be a regular thing, but like a lot of things there, it ended up falling off uh, the cliff and just didn't happen. Right. So he'd got kidnapped at the end and we'd had a story planned out. And I was like, what if we like merged that story and somehow we rescue Hurricane Shane Helms on this AW programming. I said, I've got to find someone who would have some sort of <laughs> reason to do it that is a free agent that is available that's not an AW roster member. And Gangrel ended up who it ended up being. Obviously, we have a past. He was like one of our early mentors. And then like we kind of wrote it into the broken universe canon, I guess, or lore that Gangrel helped Sammy at the very beginning, which was totally fabricated, <laughs> right? but it was like part of our story that Gangrel, uh, you know, helped Sammy Guevara out and he was always loyal to him where I was not. So that's why I was there. And we were able to throw that Shane Helms cameo in as well, which was a very cool thing for the match. And then also, uh, we tied up that story, which I know a lot of people thought that was really cool that it like crossed over, uh, different promotions and, and we got to finish it in AEW. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. But basically with that match, I tried to do like a throwback to some of the old deletion matches here at the Hardy compound, have a lot of fun, have some comedy, have some insider references and whatnot to try and, and pop the people that enjoy that type of wrestling. And at the very end, I wanted to get very serious and very vicious and almost like pay Sammy back for everything he did to me. You know, he did the chair way through and legitimately split my head open. I was able to hit him in the head with a chair. Working, Liam. I'm very safe, though. <laughs> and then, it's very uh, safe. Yeah. Very safe. And, and then, like, the spear that he did where I'd got knocked silly at All Out, uh, we were able to do that, and I did that to him as well. And then I ended up finishing him with a concerto. So it was real vicious, and I felt like that was a good finale for the broken mat part of my run because I knew I was getting ready to start doing big money mat. And I thought that's a great way to have the strong win and then almost brag that, like, I elevated you, Sammy, because I'm this veteran. I'm this legend of wrestling. Now take what I've given you by destroying you and killing you and make the most out of it. You know, and that was kind of like my segue into starting to sign private party and take a percentage of these guys and HFO Hardy family office, big money, mad character. Yeah. Learn how to work without hurting somebody. <laughs> well, that, that, that was, that was a, bit, a funny, weird theme of our, our thing. It was almost cursed. You know, Tony Khan said that a whole lot. And like Sammy, bless his heart. Uh, he's a sweetheart. A great guy. I know the chair thing he felt really bad for. Oh, he felt terrible. The thing that happened at All Out, not his fault. 
if anybody takes the heat, it's me. And, uh, you know, fortunately I ended up being a okay from all that, mm -hmm. but it's one of those things we just kind of had like a cursed feud. So I hope maybe when it's all said and done, maybe him as a baby face and me as a heel, we can have a match and go out and kill it and everything will not be cursed. We'll take the voodoo off. Seriously. Let's hope. Cause, uh, that was a scary moment. I thought you died briefly. Yeah. So I'm very happy that it all worked out and everything is for the best. We're talking to Matt Hardy here on AEW unrestricted Tony and Aubrey. This is AEW Unrestricted. Aubrey and Tony here with the amazing and wonderful Matt Hardy. We want to talk a little bit about your first conversation with Tony Khan because you had come in during the pandemic, very, very first show. How how did you get the ball rolling with coming to AEW? It was a long process. When I was at WWE, and obviously, whenever I went back to WWE in 2017, I was it was really important to me to go there and leave on a good note because when I left in 2011, I just wasn't in a good place. I wanted to go back because I do owe all those guys. I have great appreciation for WWE and this man and all those people because I wouldn't be who I am without him. I very openly acknowledge that and I'm grateful for it. You know, so when I went there, I wanted to be the best employee I could be. I wanted to go back and work. And if I'm leaving or finishing, leave on the right terms, whatever it may be. So my brother got hurt, which is very weird because he hasn't been hurt throughout his 27 year career at all. And then finally, you know, things caught up to him. He had a couple of surgeries during that time and he was gone and he was away some. So I was talking with Vince and creative about different ideas and what I was going to do because they were trying to get me to resign because this is right around the time AW had started up. And I've been very close with the bots for a while, especially since we worked with them. I met them originally back in Impact. And then I had, you know, worked with them in, in Ring of Honor. I'd worked with them a few different times. And then right towards the end of that Impact run, we were going to do a cross-promotional thing between ROH and Impact, doing the Hardy Boys versus the Bucks. And if that would have happened, that that would have been very, very cool. But it, it didn't end up happening because uh Jeff Jarrett came back, who wasn't in the best place in his life. We ended up leaving. We returned to WWE. And then when I did come back to WWE at that time, I just wanted to be the best employee I could and really show them, like, I'm grateful. I'm appreciative. I'm going to kick my ass and be as good as I can for you. And so am my brother. So the last eight or nine months I was there, they were working on resigning me, especially with AAW was there. They almost, like, didn't want anyone to go to AAW. That was kind of the feel or the mindset there. So they offered some good deals, some good money. I said, but it's very important to me that I'm going to be treated appropriately as a wrestler because there's just kind of this thing there with Vince and like older wrestlers. Hmm. He just feels like they're done, even if there's things they can utilize. And I think Tony Khan does a masterful job of putting older guys into certain positions where they can succeed and, and you can optimize their efforts and their talents. After talking to Vince a little bit, I saw that he wanted me to wrestle a little bit, but he wasn't up on like utilizing me a lot in different roles. And it's like, I never want to be champion. I don't want to be champion. I don't need to be champion. I just want to be like in a good role where I can work with other people and I can help younger guys and also stay relevant on my own. So then he said, yeah, but I kind of see you transitioning to a producer behind the scenes. You know, I can see that. And I know like once he says that, that's kind of what's in his mind. That's right. And I'm like, man, if I can wrestle, I want to wrestle because I only know I have a few more years left to do this. Plus, I'm going to make the most money there. And this is my dream and my passion. And I love it. It's really what I want to do. So why I can do it, and especially as my kids are getting a little older, for them to be able to see me wrestle is so cool to me, too. So I definitely want to wrestle. So as time went on and I didn't sign, I didn't sign. They said, OK, well, we're just going to take you off TVs for a while. I said, OK, cool, whatever. No big deal either way. And it was just. Okay, you ready to sign yet? If you sign, you can come back to TVs. Then they ended up bringing me back to TVs and had me work with a, some younger guys and had those guys win. That's no big deal. It's like at, at this stage of the game, I'm like Matt Hardy. 
I'm going to be fine either way. People know who I am. I've done enough. I'm established. You're really not going to change that fact. So it's almost like it felt like they were kind of trying to do whatever they could do to like force me to like, oh my God, I got to resign or I'm going to lose matches or I'm not going to be on TV, whatever it may be. And then at the very end, they did a big like Hail Mary where I was going to work with Randy Orton and they had some things that were promising and also like a big money contract, which was really, really huge and would have been a great deal. And I was appreciative of it, but I know Vince had saw me already transitioning into a producer role. So that's where I was going to end up. And Tony could probably tell you this from his little time with you. If Vince has something set in his mind, that is what is ultimately going to happen. He will get you back there. It's always like that. So I spoke with the Bucks and I talked with Tony and we talked about some things about, you know, having me wrestle like on a limited schedule, whatever it may be. And, you know, even maybe represent some guys, whatever. And Tony was just amazing to talk to. He was just so respectful. And, and, and Tony Khan is so respectful of guys who have contributed to this business. It's just with the way he talks to you, the way he treats you, the way he books you, everything. It was great talking to him. And after talking to the Bucks and talking to Tony Khan, my mind was made up. I knew I was going to go to AEW. It was really, it was just a great experience. And I have nothing but the best things to say about Tony Khan, especially considering the state of dealing with him and him compensating you and him also taking care of you. I mean, he's just, just great across the board. So I was very happy I ended up coming to AEW. Of course, I was very disappointed. A pandemic began. And it was an empty arena thing. I would have loved to have had fans there, especially for those reactions, because that's one of the most amazing things. I'm, I'm so, you know, I'm so happy that guys like CM Punk and Adam Cole and Brian Danielson, they all had people there to see their, de- their debuts. And that was awesome. So I really wish there would have been people there, not just for me, but also for Brody, because he was deserving of it. And I also like the balls that Tony Khan has to not be afraid to debut two talents on one night, whether it be Matt Hardy and Brody Lee or... Brian Danielson and Adam Cole. I think that's pretty badass. We're talking to Matt Hardy, now known as Big Money Matt. What inspired the uh, the persona of Big Money Matt? Is uh, something you and Tony talked about? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that, Tony, because I have such a great backstory to share with everyone. Ooh. I realized after we did the thing with Sammy, I stubbed my toe a couple times during that program, and the audience was being very hard on me. I said, I see a thing here, too, like the demographic at AAW. And I can tell this, this is very different from a WWE. The demographic and the feedback I get from performing on AEW compared to WWE is very different. It's much younger. It's much more trendy, cool pro wrestling fans as opposed to WWE. You can tell the audience is older and they're almost more welcoming of like legends and veterans who've been around in the past. With AEW, it's very tough. You have to go out and bust your ass like you're, you know, 25 or 30 every night. That, they, they demand that. They demand the best, which is, which is fun. Right. So finishing the thing with Sammy and I, I just suggested to Tony, I said, what if we do Big Money Matt? And he's like, yeah, I can see that working. I can see Big Money Matt working. And even the real life bond with myself and private party, which we became friends in as I'd done a thing where I was mentoring because they legitimately grew up being huge Matt and Jeff Hardy fans. You know, like we were the guys they aspired to be. So I was like, what if even Big Money Matt like manipulates these guys and takes advantage of them? And I end up getting them to sign contracts and I take a percentage of their money. And that's kind of Big Money Matt's thing. He really doesn't care who he has. He doesn't care if they win or they lose. He just wants to make money off them. And like private party, one thing I can say, I'm very proud of them. They have learned so much in the time I've spent with them. And they have grown so much as performers, especially as heels. When the time comes around for them to be given the big opportunity and be the tag champs or build the tag division, they'll be ready this time around. I feel very confident about that. And I'm very proud of them, of, of the growth they've shown. But the story I was going to tell you, Tony Schiavone, I'm sure you remember Gary Sabah, the Italian stallion. And George South. Yep. 
they used to come down to NWA and WCW and, you know, they used to, to be extras and enhancement talent jobbers, whatever you prefer to call them in this day and age. Mm-hmm. When we first started wrestling, we ended up connecting with them a little bit and they said, we need some extra guys to go to WWF at that time. So if you guys want to go, we have other guys, but we need bodies. We need bodies. We're like, Oh my God, you know, we've been wrestling for like two years and we're going to get to go to WWF. Are you kidding me? Of course we're going to do this. This is all we want to do. We want to be at WWF or WCW or whatever, you know, in 1994. So we all get booked there. Myself, my brother, first name Sham, last name Payne, uh, local Omega legend, uh, Marty Garner, and also Jason Arndt, who would go on to be known as Joy Abs on WWE television. So we all go with Stallion to the show. We all work that night. We leave, we get into the van, we drop seven or eight miles away from the arena. And that night they would pay extras 150 bucks for the show that night. So we drop seven or eight uh, miles away from the arena and we pull off in a, a very desolate area where no one's around. They go, okay, brothers. And keep in mind, we're in a van. There's 14 or 15 guys. They said, all right, brothers, if you guys want to go to the next town, we're going to need $100 for a booking fee of that $150 each of you made tonight. <laughs> what? And then we were like so excited just to be going to WWE. We're like, oh, okay, sure. Here you go. So here's 100 So we would work three nights back to back. We would do Raw. We would do Superstars. And we would do Challenge. And where we'd make $150 a night, typically you would go home with $450. We went home with $150. And they went home with $300 of each of the 14 or 15 guys. Wow. And that, that was kind of their gig. That's what they were doing at the time. So that was the inspiration behind big money Matt, and th- they took 66 percent. maybe maybe i should have made my number higher than 30 <laughs> you should have did you not learn <laughs> i don't know when this was uh, just to add on to that story i don't know when this was but it may have been at the beginning of the big money mat i dropped the name on a recorded show i think it's when we were recording i can't remember i dropped the name of gary sabal the italian stallion right or gary cortinelli or as i call him shyster <laughs> I dropped his name on a show and Tony Khan called me on it. He says, we're going to need to edit that out. That's too inside baseball. I went, <laughs> damn it. I was getting ready to shit on the Italian stallion and I didn't get to, but George South was involved in that. He was there. I mean, stallion was the ringleader, right? George, we have talked and I mean, we're fine. You know, I see George and I like interacting with George. I don't know who the official ringleader was, but those two guys were the guys in charge. So, I mean, he he was there, but Gary was the guy that was the ringleader. Well, I'm surprised that Jesus didn't intervene with George <laughs> and tell him not to do that. Well, maybe Jesus saved him, and he, he's, he's a different man now. Well, the good news is, Matt, look what you've become in light of all this, right? When I talk about those guys, I'm thankful for those guys. Because if they haven't, hadn't have given us that opportunity to, to go, we would have never got a foot in the door. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that led to us getting booked on our own. Myself, my brother, Marty Garner, and Jason Arndt. And once that happened, that's when things started becoming real. And myself and my brother eventually signed a developmental deal. So, like, once again, it wouldn't have happened without them. And it was a tough experience, but it makes for a hell of a story. And it also makes for a hell of a gimmick in Big Money Matt as well. Yeah, We are talking to Matt Hardy, learning lots of inside baseball during this episode of AEW Unrestricted. And coming up, we got lots and lots of fan questions. <laughs> This is AEW Unrestricted, Tony and Aubrey, and I do need to say this. If you ever want to see the greatest tag team ladder match of all time, oh yes, watch the Hardys against Edge and Christian from Cleveland. How have we not talked about this yet? I don't know. It's one of the great matches out there. It really is. Thank you. So just to throw out that, now let's get to the fan questions. 
Rick Guzman wants to know, uh, Matt, do you feel managing has become a lost art in wrestling? What plans do you have to make it essential as it was back in the day? Yeah, I do think it's important. I think there's a, a huge role to have a manager, especially for a talent that is new or maybe not a great speaker or just kind of like learning their way, especially if they're an amazing athlete, an amazing wrestler, uh, just putting a manager with them or like a mouthpiece or someone who can be charismatic to kind of cover up for their weaknesses. I think it is a very important thing. And it doesn't have to always be covering up. Sometimes they just make a great combo together. Sometimes a manager along with a performer just adds to the whole act. I don't know if that, that is my huge goal. I mean, still, my, my goal right now is to be the best wrestler I can be and try and help keep myself relevant and build other people at the same time. That's kind of what I'm shooting to do. But yes, as far as being a manager that could help other people and make it a regular part of pro wrestling in this day and age, yes, of course, I would love to help out and assist in making it a more regular thing. A question from Andy Goldsmith. Do you see yourself bringing more cinematic matches into AEW? And also, please talk to Jeff about coming over and joining the AEW family. I would love to go out on the same note like we came in as a tag team. Like, have the Hardys work with the Bucks, the Hardys versus Lucha Bros, the Hardys versus FTR, and the Hardys versus Private Party. I mean, oh my God, there's so much amazing content there, you know, if that, that becomes a reality. But as far as cinematic matches go, I, I mean, I think with the right time and place, I think you shouldn't overdo them. And cinematic matches aren't really the AEW thing. I think that's kind of my, my stance on that right now. I think the diehard AW fans, you know, aren't massive fans of the cinematic matches. And if you do do cinematic matches, I feel like they want them more straightforward, almost like the one that Sting did that time. I'll tell you what, I think at some point, if we could get to a good, comfortable place of like maybe a, a more aggressive form of broken Matt Hardy or whatever, more vicious, more, you know, more primal, I think a cinematic match with broken Matt Hardy and Sting with a very serious note would be very cool. <sighs> Wow. What do you feel has been your best match so far in AEW as Ted the Hillbilly Heel? Hmm. There are a few matches I, I like a lot. I really, I really like my first big match with Orange Cassidy. You know, I know we've got that thing going on. And I also, I'm, I hate to admit this publicly, but I'm a pretty big fan of his, his character, even though uh, professionally I don't really like it. Privately, I am maybe. <laughs> but no, I, I enjoyed that match. I enjoyed my match with Christian, and I thought that was fun that right. two old timers were able to go out there and work against each other and have a pretty good deal. The first tag match that I had, as we talked about before, with myself and Kenny versus Sammy Guevara and Jericho, that match is very special to me. The Stadium Stampede match obviously stands out as being one of my favorite matches. That's one of my favorite cinematic matches of all time, and I thought that was amazing because we had 10 people in it, and there was just so much going on. It was just so overflowing with entertainment. I love that. I also enjoyed the elite deletion with Sammy as well. That was very cool that we got to do that here at the Hardy compound. Got a question from hot Cheetos and Takis asks, describe the Hardy family office group members in one word. Interesting. That's a good question. Mark Quinn, crazy athletic. Isaiah, improvement. Butcher, huge potential. Blade, extremely great. And Helico, very underrated. Mm-hmm. Jack Evans, I'd say bad rep at first. I feel like Jack, people, fans give him a hard time because he tries a lot of stuff. And if something doesn't work perfect every time, but Jack is an extremely hard worker and he tries really hard. And every time he's, he's in there, he always does something that is really cool. That makes you go, Ooh, ah. I like being associated with all those guys. Oh, and there's one more person, Bunny. Lunatic. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> 
we'll hit that. We'll say uh, talented lunatic. Yes. There we go. All right. I've really got to ask this one because I didn't know you were into this, Matt. But Brandon Austin wants to know, what was the hardest part about 100% completing Red Dead Redemption 2? The hours put in or getting gold medals on every mission. I've never played Red Dead Redemption. Okay. <laughs> so, Brandon Austin, what the hell? He threw you a curveball there. He threw me a curve. Well, I can, I can answer, I can answer that. I only know old school stuff, Tony, like Atari twenty six hundred or the first <laughs> Nintendo stuff. Ooh. I used to play Pitfall. Really? Well, Brandon, he doesn't know, but I can tell you it's the hours put in. So there you go. There you yeah. go. All right, go on, go ahead, Aubrey. Robert Bobson asks, uh, "What would be your dream retirement match, and what do you want to be remembered for in wrestling?" Uh, maybe even a dream retirement match would maybe be something against Kenny Omega. Maybe Ooh. I could see that. I, I've never got to do it on one with Kenny Omega. And I, I think he is absolutely one of the most talented guys alive. Even more than that, I would maybe even say a better retirement would be myself and my brother, if that works out in the future, versus like the Bucks or one of the current tag teams. You know, I would definitely like to end on that note for sure. Like that's how we came in. And I would kind of like to go out that way. The other part of the question was, what do you want to be remembered for in wrestling? I almost want to be remembered for just being one of the most passionate wrestlers of all time. Because I am. I, you know, I'm one of those guys who I love this. I, I grew up a huge fan and I was able to do it. I was able to achieve some success. And I, I've always been very passionate in everything I've done. And I also want to be remembered as being a fearless wrestler, not necessarily from the aspect of like taking chance and taking risk, even though I have done my fair share of that, fearless from a creative aspect about not being afraid to try different things. And sometimes they work and they're a huge hit and a huge success. Sometimes they don't. And then you, you know, you go back to the drawing board, you know, so I would like to be remembered for being a fearless competitor, especially from a creative aspect. I'll take somewhat of a physical aspect too, athletically, but then also, uh, you know, just, just being a very passionate wrestler, one of the most passionate wrestlers of all time. All right, let's go to Annette Boyer. This is completely different than what we've been talking about, but it's very, very important. What is the greatest joy you have in being a husband and a father? Oh my God. I mean, it's just, I have to live forever for my children. I have to be immortal. I have to become a vampire, you know? So they, they, they really motivate me to be better. They motivate me to take better care of myself. They literally, it's insane how much they motivate you to just be the best you, you can possibly be. And I really do. I want to spend time with my children as much as possible. I want to watch my children grow up. I want to enjoy them at every different stage and phase of, of, of their childhood. And it just really, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. To know that you have created this little child that depends on you for every single aspect of their life is just such a huge responsibility, but it's also the most rewarding responsibility ever. So my, my children are the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And they, they also inspire me more than they'll ever know. I hope that one day they can love me as much as I love them. Great answer. I loved uh, watching the your deletion and seeing your little boy there at the very beginning. I was like, oh man, this is absolutely great. <sighs> Fantastic question from, in case you missed it, you've been very open about your children and family involvement in the business and dad is your best gimmick. Yeah. Do you think you'd ever run your own promotion as a family business? You know, I, I used to do that back in the day before I had any idea what I was doing. There was the uh, old Omega promotion. You know, the tapes got traded quite a bit. I think Tony Khan ended up grabbing some Omega tapes back in the day, tape trading. Not surprising at all to hear. Here's a very funny story for you. And Tony Shivani, I'm sure you know the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez. Sure do. On the uh, second show we were promoting and running, and this is back in 1994, 
we still didn't know what the hell we were doing, obviously, but I was the promoter. I was the one who had three jobs during that time when I was starting to go to college. The Hardy Compounds of Big Eckert's full pond trees. I would rake pond straw and sell pond straw per bell. And I taught myself how to sew. I got my mom's little sewing machine, dusted off, and taught myself how to sew so that I could make our own tights and own gear for myself and Jeff because we were two broke kids from the middle of nowhere in North Carolina. And then I started making gear for other guys locally in the area too. So I do that to make money. And then I would try and sell enough sponsorships to whatever venue we were going to go to, whether it be Southern Pines or Sanford, North Carolina. We had two towns we ran in the beginning where that I would have enough money to pay the boys a little bit and then also make some on the side. So that was kind of my three jobs at that time because I was also going to college. Wow. <laughs> so the second big show that we were having, it was in Sanford, North Carolina. And we had just became friends with the Hurricane Shane Helms and his partner, Mike Howell. And they were very like-minded like us. They were young guys who kind of were thinking about the greater good. And they kind of had the same mindset as far as the, the work style. And like the style that we worked on those Omega shows were almost like the current AEW style, where we would go all in. It wasn't a building process. The first match didn't have to stay in the ring. They could go crazy. I wanted every match to steal the show. And it was full of high spots. You know, that was another thing I said at Big Money Matt earlier on in the beginning that I created the whole AEW style. I was responsible for it. I was doing it in the, you know, in the early 90s. So the second show we were doing, Hurricane Shane Helms came and he said, Hey man, I saw Manny Fernandez last night and he'd ask where we're working today. And I told him Stanford. And he said, Yeah, Stanford, I'm there too. I'm in Stanford tomorrow. And Shane said, I don't think you're there. They only have young guys. They don't, they don't really use any names or people of value. And he said, No, no, I'm there. I'll see you there at the show. And he warned me, gave me the heads up. And Manny Fernandez showed up and I'm an 18 year old kid. <laughs> he walks up, he says, yeah, who's the book? Uh, who's taking care of me today? And then I said, okay, well, I guess I got to stand up and face him. So I'll go up to Manny and I go, Hey Manny, how's it going? Hey, how, how you doing? I said, I, my name's Matt Hardy. I said, I'm the guy who, who booked all this. I'm sorry. There's been a misunderstanding. He said, you know, but, but you're, you're not booked on the show today. I'm, I'm sorry this happened. He said, Oh, I'm booked on the show today. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm sorry. There's, there's been a misunderstanding. And I see like some of my guys starting to kind of get beside me, like, you know, and he had one person with him. And then also Shane and Mike Howell were standing by him at first telling him like, no, it, there's been some confusion. There's been a mistake. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, you're, you're not booked on the show today. We don't use anybody that, you know, really costs anything. We have all local guys here. And he said, well, I'm going to tell you this, I'm going to get paid tonight or somebody's going to get their ass whipped on my face. He said, and it might be you. <laughs> and all I'd heard about was he would carry a gun with him to shows and he was a violent guy. You know, he had this crazy. Rip. Yeah. And then I remember he got up in my face and I said, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, sir. <laughs> and I did back down. I know Shane and Mike Howard got beside me. I said, but I've got to tell you, I can't pay you because I don't have any money to pay you. So I'm, I'm sorry. I can't pay you anything. He saw that all my guys were kind of had my back and were supporting me. And he said, well, would you at least let me sit on my gimmick table? <laughs> And I said, sure, you go ahead, go right ahead, set up your giving table. That's good. But I don't have any money I can give you because I'm broke as a joke. And I'm 18 years old and I'm terrified right now. That was a real thing, like right from the jump, you know, and that, that was one of his things. He would go kind of bully his way on the shows. Yeah, right. Yeah, It's amazing that, and I know you and Jeff grew up in the Carolinas, so you watch Mid-Atlantic Wrestling and, yeah. but it's amazing that of all the people that you've come in contact as a youngster in Midlife Championship Wrestling, you would have to resort to the Raging Bull and the Italian Stallion. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Tony, Tony, I didn't pick the Raging Bull. He picked me. <laughs> you know, I share this show with Cody all the time where he did that, where he like stepped and he said, 
oh, he says, I'm going to get paid tonight or somebody's going to get their ass whipped. And he said, and it might be you. Every time I see go to TV, I just go up to him and go, it might be you. You know, that was like our inside joke, especially with considering how well his dad. Did. That's tremendous. Such good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was 18 year old Matt Hardy with 16 year old Jeff Hardy and the other teenage crew there. Oh, my God. Standing up to Manny Fernandez on an indie show. Tremendous. Great story. Matt, we're going to wrap it up on that. Thanks for your time, man. It's really been, and I know you, gosh, you were a fan watching us, and uh, I know you and I never really worked together until right yeah. right here, and it's, I'm glad we finally got a chance to. It's been great. Yeah, it's been an absolute delight being able to work with you, AW, and getting to know you and getting to hang out with you a little bit. It's been very, very fun. A lot of fun. Thanks for your time, buddy. Well, thank you guys for having me, and I am very excited about the uh, about the future of AEW. I love just how things, everything's clicking right now, and everything's heading in the right direction. I'm very happy to be a part of the organization. Very good. Very appreciative of you guys as well. Unstoppable. Yeah, unstoppable. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Matt Hardy Brand. Listen and follow this podcast, AEW Unrestricted, for free wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, we've got the video episodes on YouTube. Just search AEW Unrestricted. You can leave us, if you like a comment that I will not read. Guaranteed. <laughs> and don't forget, Aubrey. We've got lots and lots of shows on TV. We've got Dark Elevation Monday nights. We've got Dark on Tuesdays. Both of those are on YouTube. We've got Dynamite on Wednesday. We've got Rampage on Friday, both of which on TNT until Dynamite moves to TBS on January 5th. Lots of awesome, wonderful places where you can see this man take money from people he has convinced to follow him it's great. Matt Hardy, thank you so much for being here. We really, really appreciate it. Very happy that we finally, finally got to do this. Yeah, I am too. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, it was absolutely wonderful. <laughs> yes, we did it. Thank you guys so, so much. It was very enjoyable. And uh, to all the AEW fans out there, thank you for putting up with my old ass. I appreciate you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I am Aubrey Edwards here with Tony Schiavone. Thank you so much for listening to AEW Unrestricted. Come on, throw your hands up. Let me see you. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gonna turn it up. And then the freaks are coming out now uh, uh, On the street uh, uh, On the street